Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can't change it. You can you can control the exterior of yourself. I realize that. I can't control the inside. I can't control my blood pressure. Can't control, control your mind at all times. Okay. Because your mind is telling you one thing and your heart's telling you another. That's your conscience speaking. Okay? And that's the cancer I was talking about. And you have a conscience. I know you do. Yeah, I do. You're not void of it. And I couldn't kill somebody and live with it you and sit here and lie to you saying I didn't do it. Okay. I couldn't sit here and say I don't know anything about it okay, well, maybe, if I don't. Then let me, let me get back to maybe you don't know anything about the killing. The FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit has been popularized by modern-day television shows like CBS's Criminal Minds. The show, written by former FBI Supervisory Special Agent Jim Clementi, takes the audience along for the ride as the fictional BAU team solves unsolvable crimes. They solve these crimes by analyzing crime scenes and criminal behavior. While Hollywood certainly takes its liberties in spicing up the investigations, the program is actually rooted in reality. Clementi draws on his real-life experiences as a notorious FBI profiler and the literally thousands of murder investigations that he's participated in to write his episodes. The FBI has been using behavioral science to catch criminals in real life for decades. In 1970, FBI Special Agent Howard Tetton got approval to teach a workshop to local law enforcement agencies titled Applied Criminology. Tetton taught his first class as a four-hour lecture to the NYPD. The course was a hit. Tetton then took the show on the road, as they say, and he took the course, at that point expanded to a four-day seminar, to a regional police training school in Texas. While teaching the course, by day three, students were beginning to bring up unsolved cases to Tetton. Then, based on insights from class discussions, one of the students interviewed a suspect employing the techniques he had just learned, and the man confessed. Over the decades, the Behavioral Science Division of the FBI has grown considerably. Well-known experts in the field, such as the aforementioned Jim Clementi, also the man responsible for tracking down the Unabomber Ted Kaczynski by analyzing behavior patterns prominent in his writings, Jim Fitzgerald, as well as the man known to many as the father of criminal profiling, John Douglas joined the team. The FBI's Behavioral Science Unit to this day has several functions. 
local law enforcement agencies call on them for assistance when crimes seem to be unsolvable. Members of the unit still offer courses to local law enforcement agencies, and they also supply resources and guides to these same agencies. And as in many other highly publicized, difficult cases, the FBI played a major role in the initial investigation of the murders of Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Omaha Steaks. As Christmas is quickly approaching, are you struggling to find the perfect gift for someone who has it all? Well, with Omaha Steaks, you can order gifts for everyone on your list with just the click of a mouse. I recently received a package from Omaha Steaks, and everything contained in it was of the highest quality and delicious. I got a couple of filet mignons, two sirloin steaks, some boneless pork chops, chicken breasts, some kielbasa sausage. They sent us prepackaged burgers, some potatoes au gratin, caramel apple tartlets, and even an Omaha Steak seasoning packet. Everything in the package was delicious. So let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how you, for only $49.99, can get my family gift pack by going to omahasteaks.com and just enter my code TRUTH in the search bar. That's 75% off by using my code TRUTH. Omaha Steaks offers unique gifts for gourmet food lovers. They have over 500 gourmet gift ideas to provide a great steak experience at home. With Omaha Steaks, you're going to get the most flavorful, tender-aged beef, plus seafood, poultry, pork, veal, and lamb. They also have veggies, desserts, appetizers, pasta, soups, seasoning, sauces, and so much more. And Omaha Steaks is convenient and quick shopping for those on your list. All their meat is aged for 21 days to unlock the full flavor of the cuts, hand-trimmed, vacuum-sealed steaks. They also have online recipes, wine pairings, and more. And right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an exclusive savings just to my listener. Just listen to everything you're going to get for less than 50 bucks. Two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four kielbasa sausages, four burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus they're going to give you four additional kielbasa sausages for free. Just go to omahasteaks.com, enter my code TRUTH in the search bar, and get a 75% savings. It's the gift guaranteed to be a hit. Today's episode is also sponsored in part by Stamps.com. Well, the holiday season is definitely upon us, and it's one of the busiest times of year. So what do you have on your holiday to-do list? How many errands do you have to run? Well, Stamps.com is here to save you time in this holiday season. In this busy time of year, who has time to go to the post office? It's going to be busy with people sending holiday cards and gifts, so just do what I do and use Stamps.com instead. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Then the mail carrier picks it up and you're done. Stamps.com makes it easy. They're going to send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage you need, the instant you need it. And they'll even help you decide on the best class of mail every time. You can print postage any day, any time. Stamps.com is always open. I use Stamps.com because my time and money are important to me. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus postage, and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in TRUTH. That's Stamps.com. Enter TRUTH.
The FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit in 1993 had a form that they would send out to local law enforcement agencies titled Behavioral Analysis Interview. The purpose of the form was to help local law enforcement in guiding them through interviewing suspects in particularly difficult cases to solve. The form gives sample questions and gives the officers information on how to read the responses of those questions. Here's a quick excerpt from the form. It says, start with an innocuous question. For example, complete name, age, address, employment, etc. The purpose is twofold. First, to acclimate the suspect to the interrogation environment, and at the same time, to afford the interrogator an opportunity to evaluate the suspect's normal verbal and nonverbal behavioral patterns. Secondly, ask a know-why question, such as, Do you know why you're here? Or, Do you know why we are here? If the suspect is vague, naive, or evasive in his reply, such as, I suppose you want to talk about what happened to fill in the blank, that should be viewed in a different light than if he verbally, bluntly states, you're trying to find out who fill in the blank. The latter response is more characteristic of that of an innocent person. For the guilty, he words fill in the blank will likely be too inflammatory and emotional for him to use. Then it suggests that when you follow up the know-why question with, we have interviewed a lot of people, The pieces are falling together quickly. If you had anything to do with this, you should tell me. This offers him an opportunity to readily admit his involvement if that be the case. In the absence of the unlikely occurrence of a sudden admission of guilt, the interrogator's statements will nevertheless serve the purpose of inducing a display of behavioral response suggestive of either guilt or innocence. Compare both verbal and nonverbal behavior. The forum goes on for several more pages, but you get the idea. This behavioral analysis interview form was sent to the West Memphis Police Department on their request when Chief Inspector Gary Gitchell thought that they could use some help in trying to narrow down the suspect pool in the murders of Stevie, Michael, and Christopher. They used the form to develop a 32-question questionnaire that was used with every single person interviewed about the murders. This is actually a pretty brilliant technique. It gives the detectives a data pool consistent across every suspect to know how they answer particular questions. These were the 32 questions put into the questionnaire. Number one, do you know the boys? Number two, what should happen to someone who did something like this? Should they have a second chance? Number three, why would someone do this? Number four, who do you think did this and why? Number five, could it have been an accident? Now, as I continue on with this, pay close attention to the way these questions are worded. The majority of these questions are talking about behavior just like the FBI suggested. Now moving on, number six. Did you or do you know who did this? Do you think a polygraph is accurate? Would you take a polygraph? How do you think the boys died? Do you believe in God and the devil? How do you think it would feel to kill or watch someone die? Where were you on Wednesday, May 5th, between 6 and 10 p.m.? How does being questioned make you feel? How do you think the person who did this feels? Are you a hunter? Do you fish? Go camping? Number 16. What type of vehicle do you have? Number 17. Do you own a gun? Type, etc. 18. Do you own a hunting knife or any type of knife? Number 19. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to kill someone, even if you didn't go through with it? Number 20. Are you familiar with Turtle Hill? 21. Are you familiar with Robin Hood Hills? 22. Have you ever been sexually or mentally abused? Number 23. Do you at present have a relationship? 24. 
Are your parents alive? 25. Are you on medication? Who's your medical doctor? Are you a mental patient? 26. Have you ever experimented with controlled substances? 27. Do you believe in white or black magic? 28. Do you have your own Bible? 29. Why would your fingerprints be at the scene? 30. We've interrogated a lot of people. The pieces are falling together quickly. Is there something you should tell us? And number 31. Have you discussed this with anyone? And lastly, number 32. Why would your prints be in the area of the crime scene? This interview questionnaire covers a lot of ground and employs a lot of the techniques suggested by the FBI. Questions like, why would your fingerprints be at the crime scene, are very effective in eliciting a response from a suspect. You haven't told them that their fingerprints are at the crime scene, but when you ask a question like that, you're really trying to pay attention to how the subject responds. Are they nervous? Are they concerned that their prints are at the crime scene? And oftentimes, if you're dealing with a guilty person, they'll immediately start giving you explanations and reasons why their prints are there. This question, as opposed to asking a simpler question like, are we going to find your prints at the crime scene, is far more effective. It gives the implication that possibly you have already found their prints without saying so. We also see some indications here, early in the investigation, that Gitchell is beginning to think that this could possibly be a satanic cult killing. Question 10. Do you believe in God, the devil? Question 27. Do you believe in white or black magic? Number 28. Do you have your own Bible? These are not typical questions to find in an interview questionnaire. Detectives used this questionnaire to interview dozens of people in the weeks following the murders. One of the individuals they interviewed was a man known as Bobby D'Angelo. It's unknown based on the documents that we have available to us why the West Memphis PD originally became interested in Bobby. But what we do know is that he was given this questionnaire and his answer to question number one made him a suspect. Question number one was simple. Did you know the boys? Bobby D'Angelo's answer was no Stephen Branch. His mom and dad used to hang out with my mom and dad. Steve was like a little brother to me. I saw him about a month ago at his house. The West Memphis PD was so desperate to find a suspect, the simple fact that Bobby D'Angelo knew Stevie Branch was determined to be caused to question him further. All the events that I'm about to walk you through took place on May 15th, nine days after the bodies were found. In this handwritten report by Detective Birch of the West Memphis Police Department, he's questioning the parents of all the victims about D'Angelo. The report says Mr. and Mrs. Moore stated that they do not know anyone named D'Angelo. Mr. and Mrs. Byers were not available to be interviewed at this time. Mr. and Mrs. Hobbs stated that he know Joe and D. D'Angelo. They lived on Rich Road about three or four years ago. They are separated now. He's the son of D. and she married a black male and now lives in Memphis. They, just Bobby, came by just a few days after the incident. They have a friend one door down from the east of their home at 1605 South Macaulay. The mother may live in Broadway Trailer Park. Robert, or Bobby, works for Mr. Pride Car Wash in Memphis. Given the fact that Bobby knew Stevie as well as Pam and Terry Hobbs, and that he'd come to the house shortly after the murder, was enough evidence for Brian Ridge to bring him in for questioning. 
D'Angelo at the time was 22 years old, and he agreed to come in and speak with Ridge, and he also agreed to take a polygraph test. These are the results of Bobby D'Angelo's polygraph test. The report reads as follows. In the pretest interview, the subject denied any involvement in the deaths of the victims. A nine-question polygraph test was formulated and three polygraph charts were conducted. The following relevant questions were asked. Question number three. Did you know that those three boys had been killed before you read about it in the newspaper? D'Angelo's response, no. Question number five. Did you tell anybody those boys had been cut with a small knife? D'Angelo's response, no. Question number seven. Did you kill any of those boys? D'Angelo's response again, no. And question number nine. Do you know who killed those boys? Once again, his answer is no. The final line of the report reads as follows. It is the opinion of this polygraph examiner that this subject recorded no significant responses which would be indicative of deception when he answered the above listed relevant question in the manner noted. Conclusion, no deception indicated. Bobby D'Angelo was eventually cleared of any involvement in the murders. We find this information in a report by Detective Stan Birch dated June 24th of 93. The report reads, A review of the D'Angelo file shows that he was a suspect due to his relationship with one of the victims, Steve Branch. After an interview and a polygraph test, Mr. D'Angelo is no longer a suspect at this time, but may be recalled at a later date. Signed, Detective Stan Birch. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So Bobby D'Angelo was eventually cleared as being a suspect, but not until six weeks had gone by after his initial polygraph test. In the meantime, he had been questioned a few times after he took the exam. And in the notes from one of those interviews, Two names that we've never heard before show up. Chris Morgan and Brian Holland. This led Detective Birch back to the Hobbs residence to ask about Chris and Brian. From a report dated May 15th, Mr. and Mrs. Hobbs, Steve Branch's parents, stated that they knew a Joe and Dee D'Angelo and their son, a Bobby D'Angelo. The D'Angelos were divorced and Bobby used to stay with the Morgans two houses to the east of them, 1605 South Macaulay. The last time they saw him was last Wednesday, when he came over to tell them how sorry he was for them. He did not stay long or they just didn't see him around because of their other guests. 
It was later determined that Chris Morgan, whose parents lived two doors down, along with Bobby D'Angelo, had actually gone to the Hobbs residence on May 7th, the day after the boys' bodies were found, to help move a refrigerator that had been rented from Rena Center. This report goes on to say, Mr. and Mrs. Milton Morgan of 1605 South Macaulay stated that Bobby D'Angelo stayed with them for over a year. He is a little slow and did not do well in school. The day that Bobby visited the Hobbs, he told Mr. Morgan that the boys were mutilated, castrated, and stabbed with a small knife. I checked with Mr. Hobbs, and he stated that he had said nothing about the condition of the boys. Their son, Christopher, left to go to California to look for a job Thursday or Friday of last week, May 6th or 7th. Their son is 19 years old and stated, I will return in two or three weeks. The mother, Mrs. Morgan, became tearful but tried to hide it when talking about their son. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Brook Linen. All of you have heard me talk about my amazing sheets from Brooklinen. And lucky for you, you can get your own Brooklinen sheets. They'll be just as comfy as mine are, just in time for the holiday gifting season. I really love my Brooklinen sheets, not only because of the quality, but also the bang you get for your buck. These are luxury sheets at a fraction of the cost that you'd expect to pay. And buying great sheets is an easy way to upgrade your nightly routine. The right sheets can make or break a good night's sleep and help you feel better and well-rested every day. Even though quality sheets make for quality sleep, most high-end bedding is marked up by more than 300% by the time it reaches the store. Brooklinen makes quality, luxury sheets and beddings accessible to everyone, and it's a great gift idea. They keep their prices low by cutting out unnecessary markups, retail licensing fees, and manufacturing waste in order to offer high-end designs and exceptional savings across their entire collection. Brooklinen is the fastest-growing bedding brand in the world because people love these products. Their sheets have over 12,000 five-star reviews, and they were even named the winner of the best online bedding category by Good Housekeeping. They have versatile colors and patterns that you can mix and match to complement any decor. This is luxury bedding underpriced. You gotta try these sheets today. I love my Brooklinen sheets, and if you try these sheets, I know that you're gonna love them too. And get this, brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. They're going to give you $20 off and free shipping when you use my promo code TRUTH at brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. There's no reason not to give these sheets a try for yourself and as a gift for the holiday season. Give the gift of luxury sheets. But remember, the only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use my promo code TRUTH at brooklinen.com. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, and use my promo code TRUTH. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. Today's episode is also sponsored in part by Harry and David. For seasonal gifts guaranteed to bring holiday cheer to all the special people on your list, look no further than harryanddavid.com. I love treating my friends, family, and business partners to the amazing gourmet goodies that only come from Harry and David. My personal favorites from Harry and David have got to be their truffles, and that's followed closely by their chocolate cherries. But to be honest, everything that comes in a Harry and David gift box is delicious, and they're beautifully packaged to make a great gift. And right now, Harry and David is offering 20% off of your holiday purchase. That's 20% off of all the Christmas gifts and goodies that the lucky people on your list can handle. 
Sending any of Harry and David's delicious goodies is a perfect way to show your friends, family, and business partners just how much you're thankful for them. Whether they're a chocolate lover, late night snacker, wine aficionado, or holiday hostess, Harry and David has something for everyone to love. And 20% off your holiday order is an amazing deal. But you have to hurry because that deal expires Friday. To get 20% off of selective holiday favorites now, just go to harryanddavid.com, click the radio icon, and enter code TRUTH. That's harryanddavid.com, click the radio icon, and enter code TRUTH for 20% off. Hurry, the offer ends Friday. Bobby D'Angelo was good friends with Brian Holland and Chris Morgan. Chris's parents lived just two doors down from Pam and Terry Hobbs, right between Jamie Clark Ballard's house and the Hobbs residence. Lead inspector Gary Gitchell immediately focused on Morgan and Holland when he learned that they had, as some have stated, fled to California just days after the murders. After making a few phone calls and faxes back and forth, on May 17th, 11 days after the boys' bodies were found, Christopher Morgan and Brian Holland were picked up by the Oceanside Police Department in California. Oceanside Detective Chris McDonough spent over eight hours with the two 19-year-old boys on the 17th of May. Throughout the course of that eight hours, both Holland and Morgan agreed to take polygraph tests and spent six hours each in interrogation rooms. Throughout the day, Brian Holland handled himself pretty well. He kept his composure even when Detective McDonough would drone on for hours and hours on end. Chris Morgan, on the other hand, didn't fare so well. The interviews with both young men were videotaped, and the majority of these videos are actually available on YouTube. Just look up the Chris Morgan and Brian Holland interviews. Just parts 2, 3, and 4 are available. Before the grueling eight-hour interrogation was over, Oceanside Police Department was boasting that they had obtained a confession from Morgan. Now let's walk through the events of that day, and you can decide if you believe Christopher Morgan and Brian Holland should be considered viable suspects in the murders of Christopher, Michael, and Stevie. To begin with, there's one glaring problem with the Morgan and Holland case file. There is no acknowledgement of Miranda warning forms. Anytime the police officers interview a suspect, in order for the interview to be admissible in court, the suspect has to be made aware of his or her Miranda rights. The right to remain silent, the right to an attorney, and so on. It's standard procedure once a person has been read his or her rights to have them initial and sign a form acknowledging that fact. No such document exists in the Morgan Holland case file. Ergo, they likely were never read their rights, which means, likely, this entire interview would not be admissible in court. And, as a matter of fact, during the trial for this case, the defendants tried to put Christopher Morgan on the stand, but after an in-camera review, the judge denied it. Regardless of whether or not they were aware of their right to have an attorney present, Neither Holland or Morgan asked for one. They spent the entire eight hours at the police department answering questions and even agreeing to take polygraph tests. Since the interviews were so long, and as you'll hear shortly, not in any way organized, the best summary of Chris Morgan and Brian Holland's statements come from the written report of the polygraph examiner, Marshall Gaines. The following is an excerpt from the report written by Gaines to Detective McDonough after completing the polygraph examinations of both Morgan and Holland. 
The Baxter exploratory technique was employed during which the following relevant questions were asked of both Morgan and Holland. Question number five. During the first week of May, did you in any way participate in causing the death of any of those three boys? Both Morgan and Holland answered no, and it is the examiner's opinion that both Morgan and Holland indicated deception. Question number seven. Regarding the three boys found dead in West Memphis, do you know for sure who caused those boys to die? Both answered no. In the examiner's opinion, both Morgan and Holland showed signs of deception. Question number nine. Are you intentionally holding back any information about those three boys? Both Morgan and Holland answered no. The examiner's opinion, Morgan's response was inconclusive and Holland showed signs of deception. The report goes on as follows. Prior to the examination, limited information regarding the details of the three murders was available to the Oceanside Police Department and to the examiner. The examiner was briefed by Sergeant Rick Singh. He stated that on May 5th or 6th, 1993, three eight-year-old boys had been murdered in West Memphis, Arkansas. He related that the Oceanside Police Department had been requested to attempt to eliminate Morgan and Holland as suspects. Morgan had lived either next door to or near one of the victims. He had left the area only a few days after the crimes, and an inquiry was requested regarding both subjects. Details of the crimes were not available. During the pretest interview, Morgan said that his parents lived about two doors down the street from one of the victims. He said that he had not seen the boy for some time as he had moved out of his parents' home and was living on his own. He was aware of who the other two victims were because he had a female friend, Lisa Thompson, who lived next door to one of the other victims and across the street from the third one. He denied actually knowing them. He said that he and Holland had planned to come to California for approximately two months. They had taken a trip to Phoenix, Arizona, and when they were on their way back home, they decided to come to California in the near future. They left on May 10th and arrived on the 12th. They came in a vehicle with another male, Rick, and a female, Beth. They were dropped off in Newport Beach, then came to Oceanside, where Morgan's sister lives. He also has a friend with whom they are currently staying, who is in the Marine Corps, and lives on the base. Beth and Rick were en route to the Northern California area. Morgan said that he had heard about the murder of the three boys on the news. He had heard that they had been castrated and that the arms of one of the boys had been cut off. He denied any direct knowledge or participation in the crimes. The next section is about Holland. During the pretest interview, Holland said that he did not know any of the victims. He had heard of the crime on the news or someone had told him about it, or possibly both. He said he had heard that the victims had been beaten and castrated and that their hands and feet were bound. He had told his mom and his dad about the crimes. He denied any direct knowledge or participation. Holland said that he and Morgan had taken a trip to Phoenix, Arizona two months ago. On the way home, they had decided that they would leave the area where they now lived. They left on the 10th of May and arrived in Newport Beach on the 12th. The persons who brought them were on their way to San Francisco. About two weeks before they left, the girl with whom they came with told Holland she was driving to San Francisco. He asked if he could ride with her and asked if she would drop him off near Long Beach. Holland and Morgan discussed leaving to go to California about a week before May 10th. About two days before they left, Holland asked the girl if Morgan could come with them. She agreed to take Morgan also. Holland had asked to be dropped off near Long Beach because he intends to go to school there and his girlfriend is going to be transferred to Studio City by her employer. 
Holland related that the apartment where he and Morgan lived was also occupied by three other males, David, Frankie, and Richard, to minimize the rent. Morgan had lived there for about two or three months, although they had been friends for about five years. Upon completion of the examination, the examiner formed the opinion, based upon the polygraph charts, that Morgan was deceptive when he answered no to questions five and seven. The examiner was unable to base an opinion of truth or deception on question number nine. In the opinion of the examiner, Holland was deceptive when he answered no to all of the relevant questions. Brian Holland and Chris Morgan had failed their polygraph test. After the polygraph results were in, Detective McDonough returned to the interrogation room to talk to Brian Holland about it. During the conversation, Holland begins to realize that he's in a tight spot. How'd you do on your test? I don't know. I asked and they said they didn't know. You didn't do too well. Why not? In some of the questions you came up deceptive. Which ones? Um, Someone's Chris did? Yeah. Brian, I think you're better than that. Okay? This is such a big deal, man. It's not worth it. Okay? Let's get to the bottom here. Alright? Alright, go ahead. Tell me the truth. I don't know anything. There's more truth than that, other than what's in the newspapers. Okay. And what exactly is in the newspapers? That three kids were killed. They were beaten, had their hands and feet bound, and they were castrated. Mm -hmm. That's all I know about it. And I wanted to come to California. And why? Why I want to come out here? I'm looking for apartments. I'm looking now. I'm looking for houses. And I'm supposed to go register for school. And I'm supposed to drive a friend of mine's car back to Atlanta. Okay. Brian, the newspapers didn't tell you about their hands and their feet being bound. Okay? That's what I heard was in the newspaper. It's not in the newspapers, bud. Alright, so that's not in the newspapers. That's what I heard. Where'd you hear it from? I have no clue. You have to have a clue, Brian. It's important. Friends. Who? I don't know. I don't remember things like that. Holland's in trouble here. I've researched all the available news articles from the time of the murders, and Detective McDonough isn't wrong. The fact that the boy's hands and feet were bound was a detail that the West Memphis PD kept close to the chest. This is a common practice in investigations like this one. Investigators will always keep key details of the crime scene secret. The idea here is that anyone who knows these details had to have been actually on the crime scene in order to know them. So how could Brian Holland possibly have known about the bindings? Well, according to him, the information could have come from his buddy, Bobby D'Angelo. I don't know. Because I don't know. What kind of person? Some, some sick person who maybe didn't like kids, maybe has a psychological problem, you know, maybe has a sexual problem. Because apparently they were sexually abused as well because they're taking sexual disease tests. Is, is this? This is my all, conclusion. Uh, yeah, but is all this information coming from Bobby? What do you mean? I mean, all the information about what what went on with the kids. Um, I don't know if all of it came from him. I know the castration wasn't likely dead. I'm probably 99% sure it did. Okay, does Bobby work? Yeah, he works at a car wash. Okay. I mean, his family, I, I'm not sure, I can't, I never even found out if he was directly related to him. It may have been like a second cousin or something, but I know Bobby knew Stevie. 
and like knew him well. It was like he said something about him being his little brother or something. I don't know, but I know it wasn't his brother. Um, but I mean, whoever did it could have been anybody. Couldn't have just been anybody. I mean, there's, uh, you know, in every town there's certain people that you, know, you just know. Right. That, that, are, that are looser. And right. Cannibals. Well, I don't live in West Memphis. What exactly does Detective McDonough mean here when he implies that there are, quote, certain people who you just know could be involved in something like this? Well, he leaves a pretty big hint as to what he means in one of his notes found in the file. The note reads... Morgan equals homo. Brian knows something. Both homo. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the record, neither Chris or Brian claim to be homosexuals. Not that that matters. But regardless of McDonough's interest in the men's sexuality, the real issue here is how does Brian know that the boys were bound by their hands and feet? He's implying here that the information likely came from Bobby D'Angelo. But if that's true, where could Bobby have gotten that information? There are really only two logical answers here that make sense. Either he was there on the crime scene when the three were killed, or he got the information when he was visiting the Hobbs. Remember, Terry and Pam Hobbs told police that D'Angelo had come over to their house after Stevie's body had been discovered to offer his condolences. It's possible that the information came from them, although Terry says that he never discussed it with them. But the only issue here is that at the first trial connected to this case, Pam Hobbs seems to have learned about the condition of the boys' bodies for the first time. Here's a clip from the documentary Paradise Lost, after Pam leaves the courtroom while the prosecutor is introducing photos of the boys' bodies into evidence. This is the body of Steve Branch. Steve Branch is the man that had the injuries to his face. <laughs> Could you see the pictures from where you were sitting? Yeah, that's where I had to leave. Why? Because I, I always along with Seeing my little boy the way he was, I always had that picture of what he looked like in my mind. But you never knew until now. You were worried early on that, that, and you said early on you really didn't want to know. But now you're hearing it. I mean, is it a lot harder than what you thought it was going to be to hear? It's a whole lot harder than I thought it would be. It would at least seem that Pam Hobbs didn't know the details of the condition of Stevie's body until trial. And that really starts to narrow down the possible explanations for Brian Holland's knowledge. Either he and or Bobby D'Angelo were involved in the murders, or the information came from Terry Hobbs, since Pam didn't seem to know the conditions of the bodies. 
As I mentioned earlier, Brian did fare pretty well throughout the day. Chris Morgan, on the other hand, had seemed to be losing his mind during the interrogation. In the videos, he could be seen standing on chairs, dancing, throwing spit wads at the camera, and even covering the camera with tissue on more than one occasion. Several hours into the interview, Chris breaks down and says to Detective McDonough, quote, Do you want me to lie? Fine, I'll lie. Okay, I killed them. Morgan immediately recanted this so-called confession. Then a few minutes later, while standing on a chair, we hear this exchange between Chris and the detective. It's, it's fucked up. I have no idea. I don't know shit. I mean, I don't know anything else. Mm-hmm. I told you all I could. Told you, you told me what you wanted me to hear. I, I agree with that. I told you what I know. Okay, and I'm not asking the same six questions over and over again. Okay? Well, you're going to end up doing it anyway. No, what? No. I mean, I... You, you failed. The polygraph, the examiner told me, I said, what is your position with this young man? He said, he failed. I said, how did he fail? He said, I don't know if he actually was involved or did it, but he knows. I know, that, I know what happened. No. no, no, no. Not know what happened. First-hand knowledge about the crime. Okay? Which means, maybe it's a friend. Okay? Maybe... Maybe it is you. Or maybe uh, freaked out and blacked out and let you dump your little boys and fuck them up the ass or something. Maybe that's possible. Hmm. Well, maybe you find out. Hey, look, I'm, I'm just saying, maybe you do. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Not right now. Can you get one? I have never, ever asked. I've never had to get one. Well, do you think maybe you had a blackout? I'm, I'm, there's no telling. I could have. There's no telling what happened. That is possible. Well, right. Give me a hint. I'll, okay. I'll, I'm going to go through every possible way. The audio here is of poor quality, especially once the air conditioner kicks on. But what Morgan says is, quote, maybe I blacked out and killed three little boys and fucked them up the ass or something, end quote. He then goes on to ask for a hypnotist to help him remember if this actually happened. It was these two statements, quote, if you want me to lie, I'll lie. Okay, I killed them. And, quote, Maybe I blacked out and killed three little boys and fucked them up the ass. End quote. These are the statements that were touted as a confession by Chris Morgan. If you watch the videos, you'll see that by this point, Chris Morgan has absolutely lost his mind. It is almost painful to watch him climbing around the room. The eight hours of interrogation, along with his known drug use, certainly left him vulnerable. Holland, on the other hand, kept his cool throughout the entire day. And this is actually pretty impressive considering the very odd interrogation tactics employed by Detective McDonough. As a trained interviewer myself, I was shocked to listen to McDonough ramble on. The key to an interview like this is to give the suspects room to talk. As they say, give them enough rope to hang themselves. You want to make the suspect uncomfortable with silence. Ask open-ended questions and let him talk. This next clip is about eight minutes long and will give you an idea of what Holland and Morgan endured on May 17, 1993. You can't change it. You can, you can control the exterior of yourself. I realize that. I can't control the inside. I can't control my blood pressure. You can't control your mind at all times. Okay? Because your mind is telling you one thing and your heart's telling you another. That's your conscience speaking. Okay? And that's the cancer I was talking about. 
And you have a conscience. I know you do. Yeah, I do. You're not void of it. And I couldn't kill somebody and live with it you and sit here and lie to you saying I didn't do it. Okay. I couldn't sit here and say, I don't know anything about it okay, well, maybe, if I don't. Then let me, let me get back to maybe you don't know anything about the killing. Okay. Maybe I don't you know, know anything about the about person. Who might have. No, I don't. Well, that I would explain don't. the questions to me. Okay. That would explain the questions in my mind. I would honestly look at you and say, I think he's telling the truth about this, this, and this. Okay. And now it makes sense because of A, B, C, and D. Okay. It may, it would make sense in my mind. But, it, but right now it doesn't make sense. I have a big, I have a big void here. Okay. I have a black hole. Okay? Because we've got to this point, been totally a-okay. All of a sudden, bam! Somebody blows a hole in the atmosphere. Okay? And, coincidentally, it happens to be the same atmosphere that was blown in that room. Okay? Call it coincidence. Whatever. Okay? Coupled with the fact that your stories are almost identical, word for word, but you're off on some things. Okay? You guys haven't figured out yet. Coincidentally, right? You leave you leave together from Memphis to come out to California. You say one thing, he says another. And you guys have been talking, but apparently you haven't been talking well enough. Because you told us two different things. Now your challenge is to think about what you said and ask him, what did he say? So when you come in again, or the cops come to talk to you again, you lie. That's just another nail in your coffin. You have to understand that. That's just another step on the ring. See, part of this, part of this process is tremendous patience. If you're gonna, as a homicide investigator, I don't expect you to jump to the top of the mountain. No. I expect you to get there one step at a time. And those are your steps. They're not mine. I get paid by the hour, Brian, to listen to you. Okay? But you, what it costs you is your time, and, and maybe the rest of your time, in the long run. You, you, you understand what I mean by that? And to me, personally, just knowing you in eight hours, okay, I don't think it's worth it for you. I really don't. Now, and that's where it comes down to a matter of priorities and loyalties. I don't know what you're loyal to or what your priorities are. There's something there. I know you're loyal to something and somebody. And I don't, I can't, I cannot buy the fact that you would be willing to go to prison for somebody else. No. You're too much of a free spirit. You, you, you like to roam. You're a cruising kind of guy. And you enjoy girls. And you enjoy being out at night. Okay? And, and you are worried about Big Bubba coming over and asking you to pick up the soap. Okay? I don't see that happening. I, I sense that these are verbal communications, not necessarily heartfelt truths. Two different, two different things. Okay? I sense that about you. Am I right or, I mean, am I wrong? Am I reading you wrong? No. Okay. 
And I respect that about you. If your mother was sitting here right now, honestly, what would your mom tell you to do, Brian? Tell me, tell, tell you the truth. Completely, huh? Yeah. Totally. If your mom was sitting right there and we showed her the charts to the test and it came up deceptive, what would your mom think? She'd think your machine was fouled up. Okay. Completely? I wouldn't say completely. Okay. She'd probably say test him again. And what if it came up a second time? Who knows what she would say. Well, it came up four times. You were at, you know, that's what the guy did. He did test you again. Test you four times. And it came up exactly the same. Now, the only person being deceived here is yourself. And that's not right for you. I sense you have more self-respect and dignity than that. I really do. I mean, do you feel that in your life? What do you mean? Do you do you feel that 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 perhaps you do have that self respect about yourself? Yeah, I do. Okay. You know the the greatest thing you could ever give this family of these three kids, the greatest gift you could ever give them. What would that be? The truth. You got it. And why? Because they deserve it. That's right. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got one brother. And we talked about it, didn't we? And how would you feel? Feel shitty if my brother got killed. Would you feel that bad if if the cops were asking some guys that, that didn't come out just right? Okay? It's my obligation to make you squeaky clean, man. Okay? I want you Mr. Clean. So when you walk out of this office or this building, Detective McDonough can call Memphis and say, you get the wrong guys, boys. Okay? You better keep looking. Okay? But right now, I'm not in that position. I would be lying to call them and say, you get the wrong guys. Because you know what they would say? Hmm. Hmm? Why? What do you mean? And I'd lay it all out for them. So you figure it out. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to be a cop. It doesn't. Okay? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to sit in that chair. Believe this or not, I've been on that side of the table. I'm not going to tell you when or where, but I've been over there. And I understand. And I've talked to a lot of people in your position. You're, you're stuck between a rock and a hard spot. And, and I, I empathized with that and I see that. And it becomes a question of priorities and loyalties. Who are you going to be loyal to? Yourself? And your life? We're talking life here. Okay? Or, or to some, uh, something they call friendship or whatever. Okay? Because let me tell you, the heat will just be turned up. Okay? It just gets hotter and hotter. Okay? Coupled with the fact of the, the cancer, okay? maybe the FBI, because potentially, right, we're now dealing in California and Memphis. Well, who's the law enforcement agency that sees both ends? FBI. FBI. 
And the heat just gets hotter and hotter. Until when? Until you and him come out squeaky clean. Out of the 8 minutes and 35 seconds that we just listened to, we hear Brian Holland actually speaking for less than 30 seconds. The entire 6 hours of interview followed the same format. If there was any information to be pulled from Holland or Morgan, McDonough was not going to extract it with these techniques. Ultimately, after leaving for California days after the murder, failing their polygraphs and eight hours of interrogation, Christopher Morgan and Brian Holland were released. First, Chris. Just so that you and I know, okay, uh, I mean, we're done. If I have any more questions uh, in relationship to I mean, Memphis or somebody comes up with something or if I find out... I would rather everything be held off until the results of the death. Okay, I, and I understand that. And I know that that's what you desire. Okay, you any other act, any other te- uh, questioning you want to be? Okay, what I'm talking about, if I get if I get information that you're not the guy, obviously um, you want me to call you, right? Yeah, call me to say Okay, you. or if Memphis comes up with something to say, hey, you know, uh, can you ask him, you know, such and such, and that way we know for sure we can eliminate him. I just don't want to, I well, mean, see, if that's they give me a closed-door policy, that, and I, that's what I'm trying to, to establish, I hope not, so that we can keep the lines of communication open see, because I mean, it's valuable. I would rather do everything on the phone. You know, if it's a quick question, call and say, hey, Christian, okay, or if I came to your front door, how's that? Yeah, but I don't want to be sitting in some police station feeling like I've committed the crime okay. and shit like that. I don't want that anymore. I don't like it. It's something I don't need. I don't need stress in my life. That's good. Okay. And finally, Brian Holland was let go. Here's one of my cards. Okay. I want you to tuck that away. Okay. I think I think Owen and I are both of the opinion that uh, you know you're not the guy, okay? Um, but I want you to to think about it, okay? And honestly, think about it, okay? And yeah, I've, I've told you everything that I can okay. find. Okay. Oh. Well, what's going to happen is you and Chris are going to end up talking. Okay. There's no right. 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 Okay. I want to just be in a position if I get some more information or if Owen gets information from Arkansas. You know, we want to keep the lines of communication open to where we say, hey, Chris, you know, can we come over at least and talk to you in your living room or something like that to clarify a question or a problem? Right. Okay, I mean, I uh, I mean, it's your prerogative to say, no, you know, we don't want that anymore. Right. You know, we're done. Uh, obviously, you know, we're trying to uh, just get to the truth of the matter. Right. And if it meant because we're dealing with such right. long, uh, you know, 1,700 miles, you know, they're going to come up with questions. They're going to, they might come up with questions where, you know, hey, would you guys mind doing A, B, C, and D? Fine. No problem. But we have to, you know, rely on you. Right. Okay. Right. Um, the, the, all the blood tests and, and It's all going to the lab. Okay. It is already on its way? Tomorrow. Okay. When, when should the results from that be, be... It all depends on their people because it's going back to them. It's going to Arkansas. Yeah, and and who knows? And they might send it. They might send it to Memphis, or they might send it to the FBI. I don't know. Right. Okay. It was my speculation at first that feds, but probably I'm wrong. Right. All right. I mean, do you have just kind of like a, a general time frame that that it would take to to? It, it, if I told you, I'd be I'd be sending it in that field. Right. Okay. We don't know what they're going to do with it. All right. But if. If that comes back, I mean, that 
Yeah, so you want to know right away. Yeah, should be able to to be able to say, you know, was I there or not? Why don't you do yourself a favor and get back to Memphis? Go in and call the Erie guy in West Memphis. Do you have his number? Yeah. Um, call him up. Say, well, just call West Memphis PD and ask for Detective uh, Getchell. Gary Getchell. Is it? All right. Just ask for a nice, great. Upon their release from the Oceanside Police Station, the West Memphis Police Department was still awaiting the results from DNA samples that were voluntarily submitted by both Chris Morgan and Brian Holland. Ultimately, after returning to West Memphis, both men were ruled out as suspects. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Mike Bussing is our executive producer and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Britta Bliss, Stephanie McConnell, Sarah Mueller, and Anna Dindorf. And a big thank you to Katie Ross, who has completely redesigned our website and finally has it up and running for us. To view any and all case documents, go to truthandjusticepod.com. I also want to thank Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com for designing and creating our Season 5 logo. For all of you, please stay engaged. Let us know what you think about Chris Morgan and Brian Holland as suspects by sending your emails into theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can comment on our Facebook page or discuss the episode in the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. Just make sure that if you make a new post to discuss it, put episode 505 in the header. You can also leave us a voicemail with a question, comment, or tip at 269-224-2833. And lastly, you can always interact with me on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.